Hi, I'm Monty Sharp, and I'd like to welcome you to the Gatekeepers Initiative. What in the world is a gatekeeper, you may ask? I'm so glad you asked. The world's gatekeepers proclaim that they're protecting their community, but in reality, they're elevating themselves by denying others entrance to the community by belittling and devaluing them. God's gatekeepers protect their communities through loving devotion to those around them. They're there to encourage that which is good and reject that which brings harm. So let's take a deeper dive today in how God is calling you to be a gatekeeper. There's a, a lot of questions that we go through life and wonder, what does God say about this? Or why does God do this? Or when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God why. Of course, I think when we get to heaven, we'll probably just be happy to be there. But um, one of those most frequently asked questions is, why do bad things happen to good people? I'm sure that every one of us have either asked it or we find ourselves uh, trying to answer it when somebody else asks us that question. So we're going to take a deeper dive in that today. And hopefully that will allow us to be able to leave better equipped to be able to help others understand and maybe to be a little bit more at peace in, in our own selves too. So why do bad things happen to good people? Uh, it's a good question. I think the best way to be able to really answer it is to break it into two parts because it's really two parts here. One is why do bad things happen? And the other one is to good people. And I think to answer it properly, we need to start the, with the last part first. Um, are people good? It's a really good question, huh? Are people good? I think before I get into it, though, I need to address the elephant in the room. The bottom line is that there's a lot of people right now in our culture, uh, and I'm sure many of you that are listening right now, that are hurting. I think it's important to be able to say, I am sorry for any affliction that you or a loved one may be enduring. Um, we are so flippant today, uh, oftentimes in Christendom, to be able to say, oh, just give it to Jesus. You know, well, that's really easy to say when you're not in the middle of the hurt and the heartache and wondering why me and why now and what, what's the purpose behind all this. So I, I know it can be really incredibly difficult and painful to the point of despair. And I can honestly say I know this is hard. And so I hope you'll hang in there with us, and I hope this brings comfort to you, and that it's not just a, an academic exercise, but rather um, something that you can kind of wrap your heart and your mind around to have a little more understanding to be able to go, hmm, maybe this isn't because God doesn't love me. Maybe this isn't because I'm not good enough. Maybe this isn't about me in many ways. So I'm hoping and praying that that is the case as we go, go through this. Some of us, it can honestly cause us to question God's goodness and his love for us and or focus us on our failures and or lack of value and worth. All of this is understandable, considering that some of us are struggling with, we've been raped, we've been abused, we've been decimated by sickness or humiliated and laughed at because of physical or mental limitations or bad choices. Uh, we've all made them and then condemnation for those who claim the name of Christ. Uh, or maybe we've been persecuted for righteousness by Christians and unbelievers alike. Whatever your hurt is today, it's understandable that you may feel abandoned, in despair, hopeless, and miserable. 
Your feelings are very, very real. But I'm here to remind you that feelings are not always true. Your feelings are always real, but they're just not always true. And it's important for us to remember that. God does love you, just as you are. And there is a purpose and a plan in all of this. Are you sure? You may ask. And I say, yes, absolutely. He does love you. He loves you with an everlasting love. We see that in Jeremiah 31, 3. He numbers the hairs on your head. Is that crazy? Any moment we can say, Lord, how many hairs do we have on our head? And he might tell you 3,755. Oops, 56. You just had another one grow in. Uh, Matthew 10.30 tells us that. His thoughts of you are more numerous than the sand. Psalm 139.17 and 18. And think about that. I mean, if you take a handful of sand, how many kernels, uh, grains of sand are in that? And, and it would take you hours to be able to, to count them all. And then multiply that times the number of handfuls in the beach that you're on. And then times the beaches in the world. And times the deserts in the world. And the sandboxes in your backyard. And in the rivers. And, and what he's saying is that he is constantly thinking about you. You are ever on his mind. He writes your name on the palms of his hands, Isaiah 49, 16. I always thought, you know, why the palm of your hands did the back of your hand? And then it dawned to me, what do you see all the time? You don't see the back of your hands. Usually it's the palm of your hand. It was just his way of saying, again, I'm constantly thinking about you because I love you says that you are the apple of his eyes, Zechariah 2.8. And he captures your tears in a bottle, writes them in his book, Psalm 56.8. One of these days when we're standing before the Lord and we say, Lord, where were you in all of this? He's probably going to pull this bottle down. And for some of us, it's going to be a jug. <laughs> and some of us, maybe a smaller bottle. And be able to tell you, I recorded every hurt and every heartache that you had. And I went through every one of them with you because I love you so dearly. And there is reason and purpose in it. And he'll show us and help us understand that at that point in time. So then why are these bad things happening to me when I'm a relatively good person? Well, that's, I guess, probably the, the real beginning of the difficulty. And that is, are people good? Are people good? The Bible is really clear on this. There's only one who is good, and that is God, Matthew 19:17. There is none who does good as far as among men, not even one. Romans 3.12 tells us that. Romans 3.23 says that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And James 2.10 tells us that if we keep the entire law, entire law, and stumble in one point, then we're guilty of all of it. And Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. That means eternal damnation, eternal separation from God. The truth were known, there's not a single one of us that deserves to go to heaven. There's not a single one of us that can claim that we're good. There's not a single one of us that uh, can make it there on our own. All of us deserve to go to hell because God is a holy and a righteous God. And he, the only way to be able to approach him and, and to be with him and spend eternity with him in heaven and keep that a holy and righteous place is for us to be freed from our sin in some form or fashion, to have it covered, removed. And Jesus did that for us on the cross. But in the meantime, for us to be able to thump our chests and say, well, I'm a good person, that is a very strong misnomer. (laughs) Because in reality, we are not. So in summary, none of us are good. None of us deserve God's love and blessings. And yet he desires to extend them to us uh, who claim the name of Jesus. If that's the case, then, 
then why do bad things happen? Well, I think that's the real crux of the issue here that we need to talk about. Primarily, first and foremost, bad things happen because of man's sin. Yeah, it's, it's our fault. Man is constantly doing and saying things that hurt himself and hurt others. There's murder and gossip and rape and abuse and war. You can just go down through the whole list. Even natural disasters are a result of man's fall. Genesis 3.17, God says that, Cursed is the ground because of you. He was talking to Adam. So the natural disasters that we have came as part of the fall of Adam and Eve to begin with when they brought sin to the world. But then why doesn't a loving God stop this? Well, he could. But to do so, he would have to eliminate all of us because all of us have done bad things. Or he would either have to do that or he'd have to take away our ability to make choices in life. We'd become nothing more than, than robots programmed to act and react a certain way. Would any of us really want to be able to do nothing but whatever I've been programmed to do? No freedom of choice, no ability to, to be able to make my own decisions. I don't think any of us would like that. In addition, when we, out of the, the free will of our hearts, choose to climb into our Heavenly Father's lap and say, I love you, Daddy, and choose to follow and obey Him, it brings enormous joy to Him as our Father, even uh, as it would with most earthly fathers. You know, I, I remember seeing the movie, I don't know if any of you ever saw it, uh, Annie with Carol Burnett years ago. And it was a perfect picture of this where she made the children in the orphanage line up every day and come up and sit on her lap and say, we love you, Mrs. Hannigan. And if they didn't do that, she'd beat them. <laughs> I just thought, oh, wow. Yeah, I don't think anybody would ever feel you know, loved by that. And God in his infinite grace and love uh, had found a way for us to still have free will, to be able to choose, to be able to bless him and, and thrill him by climbing into his lap and saying, I love you. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your patience. And give us this new beginning because he took what was due us onto himself. But the bottom line is for him to be able to, to eliminate all the hurt and all the heartache and all the bad things going on, he'd have to eliminate all of us too. And thank God that he doesn't. Thank you, Lord, for your patience and your long-suffering with us. So, first reason we find bad things happening is because of man's sin. Second reason that we find them happening is Jesus frequently uses what seem to be hard things, difficult things, that at the time may be considered bad, to teach us and shape us and mold us into better people. We see in James 1, 2 through 4, it tells us that these hard things that we go through produce endurance. And they make us perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Yeah, you heard me right. That's a profound statement. The hard things that we go through that seem to be such bad things at the time make us perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. And we see also in Romans 5, 3 through 5, it says that it brings about perseverance and proven character and hope that doesn't disappoint. Just as an athlete endures hard things to help them to be the best that they can be, we must also, if we want to win the game called life. So is this making sense? I hope it's making sense. And that's just a couple of the reasons that we've got there. And there's, there's many more, but we'll, we'll dive into a couple more of them here uh, to be able to kind of take a, a, a deeper look. 
Third reason I think that we have difficult, hard things, bad, seemingly bad things that go on in our life is because that's the Lord disciplining us. Now, I don't know about you, but I never enjoyed any kind of discipline when I was growing up. Still don't. Nobody does. Nobody likes that. It's no fun. But it's that discipline that, that is used to get our attention so we can be moved out of harm's way that our sin causes and back into his perfect plan and provision and protection for our lives. Uh, Hebrews 12, 7 through 11 tells us that he disciplines us for good. That's God's heart behind it. You know, when my, my kids are growing up and I sold out to Jesus, the Lord reminded me that, that, that I even was using the wrong vernacular when I talked about when they made a mistake that, it, that they were going to be punished. That's not God's heart. Punishment means I'm going to return to you pain that you created by your wrong choices. That's not the, the Lord's heart. And he reminded me, he said, you know, what you need to be saying is, I'm going to discipline you. For the purpose of discipline is to correct your behavior, to put you back in the sweet spot, to put you back where you need to be. And so God allows things like this to happen in our lives frequently to discipline us, to move us out of harm's way that sin causes us, and back into this perfect plan, his provision and protection for our lives. You know, I recently uh, did a study on St. Patrick, and I don't know if any of you uh, have ever done anything, you know, most of the time we think St. Patrick's Day is green beer and, and corned beef and cabbage and uh, shamrocks and all those kinds of things, getting pinched if you don't have your green on. But St. Patrick was an amazing believer. Uh, in his younger years, he grew up in a home, it was a Christian home. His grandfather was a, was a priest. His dad was a magistrate, a deacon in the church. And, you know, they loved the Lord, but he would not follow the Lord. He wasn't interested in any of it. In fact, he thought priests were silly. And um, when he was 16 years old, he was kidnapped by an Irish pirate. Arr, yes, Irish pirate. And he was taken uh, to Ireland, and there he was sold into slavery. And he was uh, used by the, the person that bought him as a shepherd of his sheep. And he was out tending the sheep. For six years, he was there in slavery. And the winters were horribly harsh. Um, and Ireland, you can imagine, had little clothing. His life was miserable. I mean, he didn't have people to talk to. Very seldom did he get that interpersonal relationship. I mean, he did on occasions, but most of the time he was out with his sheep. And it was there, in that place of bondage, in that place of misery, that he came to the end of himself. He didn't have anywhere else to turn. And so he turned to the Lord, and the Lord met him there. And he said that his prayers were as many as a hundred a day and a hundred at night. And that, he, that the Lord would get him up early in the morning when it was sleeting and it was snowing. He had a little clothing on and he never felt cold uh, when he got up early to spend that time in prayer. And he said he didn't feel slothful at all, uh, meaning tired, because he was energized by that time with the Lord. And the Lord used that time to be able to start shaping and molding him. Uh, and then he, the Lord finally visited him in a dream and said, I'm setting you free. So walk to the coast. I've got a ride for you in the boat. Walked across the country, a slave, little clothed, to the coast, 200 miles, uh, and found an English boat there. Asked for a ride, and, and they said no. So he just walked away from there and started praying for the next three days. 
And the captain sent somebody to get him and said, we'll give you a ride. And then took him back to England. And, uh, and it was there that he was six years behind all of his friends in education. So that's a horrible feeling to be totally that far behind. But his family loved the fact that he was home. They were excited about it. And while he was there with his family, he had another dream. And in that dream, there was a, a man that he remembered meeting. And his name was Victor. But in the dream, his name was Victorious. And he had letters, many letters that he carried. And one of them was for Patrick. And when he opened it, it was from people in Ireland. And the people in Ireland said, we're calling you, young man, young holy man, come and walk the shores with us. And he knew that God was speaking to him. He couldn't even finish the letter. He was so overcome by it. And so he took that to heart and went basically to seminary uh, to be able to learn how to be able to be a minister of God and spent all those years doing that. And then when he got done and knew that he was supposed to be going to Ireland, told his family and they were going, no, don't go, don't go. And he goes, I must, I must go. And so he went to Ireland. And when he got there, he wasn't well received. Okay. Here's a guy kidnapped, all that harsh thing, six years, felt like he had word from the Lord on what he needed to be doing, spent all these years preparing for it, gets there, and he's not even received. Did that stop him? No, because he'd built such a faith with Jesus and this hard, enduring thing, this hard, harsh time prepared him. And so he felt like the Lord would said, move further north. And so he did. And he ended up getting hooked in with a group of people and and the Lord opened doors for him. And there was all kinds of miracles that I don't have time to go into on this podcast. I encourage you to look it up and read about him. Phenomenal thing. And the Lord gave him, in this time of preparation of slavery, the ability to speak in, in the Irish tongue. He wouldn't have had that before. Gave them Gave him an understanding of the Irish culture. He understood them like no others did. And he had a love for the country and for the people that God gave him after he got a hold of his heart. So all this time was there to prepare him. And then what's really interesting is that he gave him a unique ability to relate the Irish culture to Christianity and help people understand it. Like the shamrock, it's a, the three-leaf clover that uh, you'll see a lot of times around. He used that to be able to explain the Trinity and, and give people an understanding of what that meant. He had that unique ability to do that, that, that God allowed him to develop by the understanding that he had, that, the closeness. And, and what was really crazy is that not only was he known for, for building the church and, and bringing people to Christ, but he established monasteries and, and uh, learning centers all over the country and built churches. And at a time when, when the Druids reigned, there's a lot of cultic stuff going on that they, they called knowledge. He was able to bring the knowledge of Christ and what was truth in, and he built universities and all these learning centers. The, the man that was so far behind everybody else in his learning and was intimidated by it was the one that God used to be able to bring this love for learning, truth, this understanding of who God is. And when all of Europe was going dark, God used the, the light, this enlightenment of knowledge and truth and understanding that was born in Ireland to be able to bring that light into the rest of Europe. Amazing man. And all of that came from the preparation that he went through 
and this most difficult time when he had to be crying out every day, God, where are you in all of this? I didn't believe in you to begin with. So you can see how God uses these kinds of things. Psalm 119.67 says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep thy word. That's where God uses his discipline to help prepare us for the things that are extraordinary. What are you suffering in right now? What are you suffering through right now? What heartache? What difficulty? What hard thing have you gone through just recently? God has a purpose and a plan for that. And if we'll turn to him, just like we see St. Patrick did, and really let him warm our hearts with his presence, with his word, let him be the first one that we seek every day, God will reveal this to us. And there's no telling how Jesus will be rocking the world around us through your life as you allow him to do that. So another reason that we see that these um, bad, seemingly bad things that, that happen into our lives is that God uses the, the hard and painful things to accomplish a greater good. What? A greater good, yes. Remember what appears to be bad for a limited time through our limited knowledge, through our limited viewpoint, isn't necessarily that way from God's. I mean, our Heavenly Father allowing the horrible painful beating and crucifixion of Jesus appeared at the time to be wrong and unfair, like God had abandoned his son. Jesus cried out on the cross, Eloi, Eli, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He felt that abandonment as the Lord placed all of the punishment that was due us upon, upon Jesus. But it had to be horrible. But man would be lost in his sin, condemned to eternal damnation, if Jesus hadn't endured this, because he died, we who put our faith in him live. It's John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. His death brought about this greater good. We've seen hundreds of young people come to know Jesus and older people come to know Jesus and have the assurance of eternal life through the death of young Christians in our area. I've had the blessing uh, and the difficulty of doing many of their funerals. Those who died are far better off. They have no tears. They have no sorrow. We see in Philippians 1.21, as Paul said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. It is gain. And they gained. Even though we miss them terribly, we will see them again one day if we know Jesus. And the Lord uses these times to bring their friends and their family to salvation. What a wonderful gift to leave behind, knowing that your death saves so many of your friends and your family from eternal suffering. Not an easy thing, but God does use those things for the greater good. Lastly, on this end of things, Jesus uses difficult and painful experiences to comfort others with the comfort that we've been comforted with. See that in 2 Corinthians 1.4. So often our greatest trials and even failures become our calling in life. After Jesus comforts us and heals us, we dedicate our lives to helping others find that same comfort and healing. You know what Jesus said to Simon Peter. He said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have returned again, strengthen your brethren. 
See, he knew that Peter was going to walk away from him. It was going to take a little bit of a season for him to be able to get back into that right relationship with him. But he said, I have plans for this. I have plans for you. When that happens, when you come back, comfort your brethren. There's a a wonderful Christian lady and her husband in our area who lost their young, vibrant teenage son in a battle to cancer many years ago. And I just remember how hard it was and how people were praying and all of us hoping and trusting that the Lord was going to do some kind of a miracle. You know, this is a, a young man that was a wrestler and, and just a neat kid. And, and everybody's going, surely the Lord won't take him. And the Lord did. And it's like, Lord, where are you in all of this? But the craziest thing is that this, this gal had this heart and this passion that was driving her, drives her to this day to be able to bring comfort to others that have gone through the same thing. She started grief support groups. She established the first candlelight vigil that was done down in the mall here in Temecula just before Christmas, where hundreds and hundreds of parents that had lost their kids showed up. And it was there to bring peace and comfort. Um, and she continues to hold these. She's the first one that's at people's houses when they go through these difficulties. She does such a phenomenal, amazing job of comforting others with the comfort that she's been comforted with in Christ Jesus. It's just amazing what she has done there. And it's that kind of thing that God wants to use us for. And the more that we will turn our hearts to him, the more that we will seek his will and his way, and the purpose of all these things that we're going through, the more that he can give us the power and the ability to change other people's worlds as we comfort them with the comfort that we've been comforted with. Romans 8.28 tells us that God causes all things, that's right, all things, to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Frequently, our greatest hurt and even our greatest failure turns into our greatest triumph and accomplishments as we turn to Jesus and allow him to lead us out of death and despair into being more than conquerors. One last uh, quick story on this end of things is I've got a, a friend that I met on my way to a missions trip into Bulgaria. Her name is Sharifa Janki. Uh, she's a housewife, and she was going on the mission trip. I was asked by the church to be able to, to go over and train some pastors and establish some youth ministry there in, in Sofia, Bulgaria. And she was along on the trip and had been doing, just a housewife, but had been doing some ministry. Um, and her ministry was to women who struggled with um, the consequences of abortions in their life. And she was able to minister to them, and, and she had these weekend uh, retreats that helped women know how to be able to help others who are struggling with those things, and also those that actually had had an abortion and were struggling with it. And the consequences can be really hard emotionally, as far as relationally with your family and, and the guilt and, and difficulties. It's really a confusing, hard, difficult time for so many people. But Cherie was able to minister to them because when she was 18 and when she was 20, she had had an abortion. And, um, and, and it wasn't until later in life in her Christian walk that all of this came up and started destroying so many things around her 
um, the consequences of a cut-up, just was nibbling away at her. The enemy was working on her. And God showed her how to be walking in freedom. He gave her comfort, helping her understand the incredible love that he had for her. And he gave her peace. He gave her peace in her life and showed her that he would cause all things, including this really difficult decisions that she made, to work for her good because she loved him. And she was able to help comfort others doing that. Well, while we were in Bulgaria, um, the Lord, in his typical fashion, worked it out for her to be meeting with some women over there. And in Bulgaria at that time, the primary source of birth control was abortion. So all these women were taking the lives of their babies. And Cherie was able to sit down and, and meet with them and comfort them. And it was amazing. And out of that, she came back and talked to her husband. And, and they sat down and started praying with their kids. And the Lord led them to go back to Sofia as missionaries. And she established uh, this in, incredible ministry over there to be able to give counsel, uh, pro-life clinics, uh, help women to know how to be able to handle all this. It's called the Truth and the Hope Foundation. And then in the process also, here's this, just a housewife, you know, and you go, well, just a housewife. Housewives are amazing women. They've got so many gifts and talents, but frequently they're seen mostly just with their families. But she felt like the Lord was calling her to write a book. And so she told me, she said, the Lord just told her, sit down with your coffee every morning and write for an hour. And it'll eventually get done. And that's what she did. And she wrote a book called Go in Peace. It's a phenomenal book. I encourage you to be able to grab a copy of it someplace. Because yeah, it has application for all of our struggles that we end up going with. To know the love of God and the freedom that he gives us and the peace that he restores in us as we trust him to be able to take these hard things and to comfort us through bad choices, through difficulties that we've had, and then give us the privilege and opportunity to help others be comforted too. Long story short, Shri and, and her husband and her kids have touched thousands of people's lives and set them free, giving them peace instead of having to struggle with, uh, with feelings of uh, failure and making bad choices setting them free to be loved by Jesus and to love others and to help them to be comforted also. So what is it that you are struggling with? What are the difficulties that you're going through in life? Will you turn to Jesus? Will you allow him to use those things, and especially our greatest failures and difficulties, to be able to help free from consequences of those, show you how to be able to discover his love, how he brings the newness of life, how he brings hope and peace and joy, and how he will use you to be able to rock the world around you as you share with them the peace that he has given you. I hope this helps you understand a little better where Jesus is in all of our suffering. He's right by us, looking to help us through the hurt and the sorrow that is so frequently visited upon us by our wrong choices and the choices that others have made. So turn to him today. Let him help you. Let him heal you, especially in your times of trouble. I love Psalm 34, 8, where it says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Amen and amen. 
So if you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you follow us wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss another episode of Monty Sharp and the Gatekeepers Initiative. Don't forget, each of us has our gates of influence in our lives that can radically change the world around us. Thanks again for joining us today. I'm looking forward to being with you again next time. May the Lord richly and wonderfully bless you.